This is mission.org. This is Marketing Trends, your number one source for exclusive interviews with chief marketing officers and executive marketing leaders in the Fortune 1000 and beyond. This is Jeremy Bergeron, and I interview, collaborate, and partner with world-class CMOs and marketing leaders across industries. Your content is at the heart of what you do. It connects your company to others, teaches them, guides them, and inspires them. But creating, managing, and editing content at scale is often very chaotic and difficult. Empower your content teams with Brightspot Content Management System, made specifically for marketers and corporate communications leaders. No more waiting for a developer to have to piece things together. Put the power to create and deliver powerful yet complex digital experiences into the hands of your marketers with a comprehensive suite of ready-to-use tools and functionality. Bring a bright spot to your tech stack, your customers, your team, with the Brightspot content management system. Visit brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to learn more. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Marketing Trends. I am super excited about who we have in the virtual studio today. We're here with Marguerite Suteman-Reinen, the chairman of Aon Holdings, among other things. And for our audience, Marguerite, can you just describe the company, describe Aon Holdings and what you do there now in your role? Yeah, thank you so much. And it's a pleasure to be here today with you. Aon Holdings is a subsidiary, is one of the holding companies of Aon PLC. PLC is uh, headquartered in Ireland. Aon is a risk advisor. We empower human and economic possibility. Uh, and we're active in, in many fields in, in reinsurance, insurance, and life, etc., and consultancy activities. We are active in over 120 countries with 50,000 plus colleagues and uh, hoping that we're able to um, empower people to take risks so that they can, you know, do the things they want to do from an entrepreneurial mindset. Wow. Quite a large, you know, organization. You're talking 50,000 plus, you know, uh, colleagues and, and employees there. This is not a very little organization. This is within the fortune. I think you guys are under fortune 300. You're like fortune 250 or something right now. You know, in your career, if anyone takes a moment to Google this amazing human being, you'll see that this is someone who has really, you know, in many ways fought up to where she is now as a leader and how she sees the world, how she sees the perspective around business is super fascinating. So I want to start with just kind of what's happening in your world now, right? We're in 2022. What's kind of top of mind for you right now? What are you paying attention to in the business? What's taking up your time and attention now? What are you really excited about, about what's happening now with Aon Holdings? It's a very complex environment, an operating environment, as we all know. Uh, A lot of change is happening uh, with a speed which has never been before this fast. In addition, there's a lot of transparency, and that all makes a very complex world, whether it's geopolitically, economically, etc., uh, everybody is busy with uh, the effects of the world war in Ukraine, the inflation, the energy prices going up. You know, a lot of new risks have also come across. And we already had a lot of risks and a lot of volatilities, but they are actually increasing. And navigating those volatilities in these times of change is extremely difficult. And as Aeon, we're busy every day helping our clients to navigate through these uncertainties. And I think it's fair to say that uncertainty is really the new reality. And so for us, it's really crucial that we help our clients support them wherever we can 
to empower them to do the business they would like to do. You know, there's something that I know you're not unfamiliar with, and that is learning how to embrace risk on your journey. You've learned how to make better decisions and be optimum in that way. You've been in the game a while. So I also noticed there was a recent report that Aon released, the Executive Risk Survey, right? Where you're talking more than 800 interviews with C-suite folks from companies with 500 or more employees. And you're asking these leaders about how to embrace risk in these kind of uncertain times, you know? And I'd love to just understand, can you tell us a little bit about this report and what this has meant for the business now, what it means moving forward for all these business leaders that are feeling these kind of economic headwinds? Yeah, I think it's for the C-suite always important to benchmark your own experience with that of your peers in the marketplace. This report allows them to take a look what is the uh, opinion or vision or thought process of other peers in the C-suite. And it's different. Eh? It's also different per, per region. So you have to always take offset at what's happening where and what's, what's, what's going on and what's on top of mind. Inflation, of course, is now uh, number one in that report, which is of a huge impact. It, uh, you know, it impacts all of us around the globe. It impacts prices. It impacts the way we do our shopping every day. It impacts you know, the buying for insurance. It impacts companies in doing their business. Uh, it simply impacts everyone to pay their bills. And so what's, what's really important for the C-suite is to be benchmarked against others so that they have an understanding of what others perceive as the risks going around at the moment. You know, the report talks about you know, 79% of business leaders expect a recession, right, this year, yet just 35% reporting feeling very prepared for that recession. And so as we approach the end of 2022, do you feel that business leaders are still embracing these kind of fundamental attitudes as reported, embracing risk, heating analysis, advice from internal and external stakeholders? Why are leaders not embracing this? It seems like they know it's coming, yet there's a little bit of, you know, pause there. Um, I think that they are embracing it, but I think it's different than before. Uh, I think that uh, planning is a word we used to do in the past. It was something we've grown up with and it was long term and we could plan ahead. But the, the, the speed of change outside our organizations is this fast at the moment uh, that we need to check what is the speed within and we need to adapt accordingly. So adaptability is a very important uh, leadership skill set as we speak. And it requires us to look at the circumstances we have to act in every day. Not a year, you know, not on a yearly or five yearly basis. We used to do our plans and strategy plans. It allows us much more be situationally aware what's going on now uh, and then adapt accordingly and adjust our uh, process accordingly. I think what you see is that um, to name something very tangible, digital transformation is all of us are aware of that that needs to happen. It's a necessity. It's no longer a facultative thing. We need to do it uh, you know, it's, a, it's, it's something which you really have to embrace. And we notice that the technology is with so much more speed available. So if you look at digital transformation, it's not the technology which, the, which is the issue anymore. No, it's the learning of the organization to adapt to the technology. And that's the big, those things are the learning curve of the organizations and the way they adapt to it. And that, reply, and that implies a leadership skill, which is how do you deal with change? And how do you deal with challenges? Uh, and to have the situational awareness uh, to be aware of what's going on around you every day. How were you able to, you know, you talked about being adaptable and cultivating this skill. You've worked in many uh, arenas. You've been exposed to lots of different opportunities. You've been able to cultivate this ability to adapt, right? Because to me, to be an executive 
you know, five, 10 years ago is one thing, but you are an executive of the now, also the exe- an executive of the future. How are you able to cultivate this adaptability, right? How are you able to still be relevant, to still make sure that you're listening, you're balancing, right? Because you have to maintain that. It's a key skill. Now, I love the words relevant. So as a leader, you need to check every day whether you're still relevant, whether you and your firm are still relevant to the outside world. And Jack Welsh, very well known for this quote, has said, if the pace of change outside your organization is faster than the pace of change within, the end is near. Wow. And if you take a look what leadership is about at the moment, it's, um, and to quote another writer, it's Daniel Goleman. And Daniel Coleman describes the five elements to be a good leader. He described self-awareness, self-reflection, empathy, social skills, and motivation. Now, set aside motivation if you want to reach for the top. But then, of course, you know you need to be motivated and to take people along. Leadership is not about that you call yourself a leader. It's about that you look around over your shoulder to check whether people are still following you. Quite importantly, some leaders do tend to forget that. It's not about you, it's about the we, it's about the people you represent. And back to empathy, I think also what's become really very, very important the past year, you talked about learning, but I think the listening capability of leaders is extremely important. And interestingly, I was uh, last week advised that Egon Zender has uh, published, made us aware that apparently in, in this was in the Netherlands, so I'm not sure whether this was a global report or a Dutch report, it's the C-suite that 80% of the C-suite apparently themselves call the listening capability not their best capability. Mm. Interestingly, Interesting. now back to social skills and empathy. Empathy means you're willing to take in other opinions and thoughts, and that's about diversity of thought and opinion. And especially in this world with so much change and the transparency and speed with it, I think it's important to be able to be fully aware as many times of, during the day as you can of all the various aspects which are going around. So I call this radaring in the room. I call it the 360 radar. Uh, and also the, not only in your own room, but also outside, which is again the outside in perspective, which is needed in order to become and to remain relevant. Wow. I, I have to ask, where did this start for you, Marguerite? Like, did someone tell you early on, you're a leader, like you have leading capability or was it the opposite where maybe when you were younger and people said, oh, Marguerite, you know, she doesn't have what it takes. And so you said, oh, I'll show you. Where did that start for you? Was that your parents? Where that Was that peers? Where did that start? Yeah. So I've been raised in a family as the eldest of four. Mm. And in our family, we've always been raised to use our potential, which is an important one. And in the beginning, when you are with four and with parents who are, uh, my mother was a teacher, my dad was an engineer at Philips, and we all were, you know, it was about content. So form was important, but it was more or less about the substance and content. And so we've learned, we've had plenty of discussions at the kitchen table at home. And at a very young, early age, you actually learned how to discuss. And it was also very clear that the loudest voice was not the most uh, often, was not the best voice. So it was about how do you bring your point of view across? I think that what's maybe my biggest lesson is, um, and I like to tell a story about this one, is that a reporter was asking a CEO, so tell me, what's the secret of your success? And the CEO answered, taking the right decisions, right decisions. So the reporter says, yeah, how do you take then the right decisions? And the CEO answered, it's by experience and learning. Okay, the reporter says, the journalist asked like, yeah, how do you get the experience and how do you do the learning? How did you do it? And the CEO answered by taking the wrong decisions. And why do I answer this? this why do I share this little dialogue, this little analog with you? 
it's really important to realize that, you know, I've not come here because I was so successful in doing the things right. I've actually come here where I am by also falling down and standing up again several times. So really, you know, that you learn uh, the hard way that uh, how to do, deal with certain things. And I think it's very important to realize that we've talked a lot about resilience the past year during COVID. I think resilience is really something which your leadership skill, which is really needed, that you're actually able to feel smart, uh, to feel early, but also to be aware that you should be standing up again. This is incredible. I mean, I, I want to shift a bit to thinking of like employee retention, right? Think employee retention has been a big topic in the Fortune 100 and Fortune 500 and beyond, really. And this this focus on, you know, how to take care of your people. That's nothing new, but it looks like there's a, approaches are different now. I saw a really cool stat which showed that Aon has hired this chief well-being officer, a really dramatic step to create. They created a whole new role, you know, within HR and hired this chief well-being officer. And I love this doubling down on keeping keeping employees and with 50,000 plus employees. This is a massive organization. Would just love your thoughts on employee retention. Why double down on that? Why is it so important? And what you've noticed in, you know, in the past year leading up to now 2022? Yeah, so I think human capital is the number one asset of a firm, whatever you do. And I think it's never been this prominent as before because of COVID, we were faced with the fact that you know, people were leaving us because you know, the great resignation, everybody's familiar with what's going on around this globe and not only US, but everywhere else as well. In order to be successful in the marketplace, you need to be successful in the workplace first, was a quote of Doug Conant. He was the CEO of Campbell Soup. And he came into a firm at the time when he joined Campbell Soup and really had to financially restructure Campbell Soup. But he also noticed that if you have a diverse team, an inclusive team, an inclusive culture, that actually, you know, the equity is being established and it is driving positive and more innovative results of productivity, uh, et cetera, et cetera. If you take a look at well-being, it's really important to know that, you know, diversity, act and inclusion is a topic which is also on top of mind of every boardroom at the moment. It used to be done by HR, but it's not an HR issue, it's a leadership issue. And whether that was caused by uh, also Black Lives Matter has had an impact, but also the discussion around slavery has had an impact, the discussion around gender equality has had an impact. And as you know, I'm very active. I represent the Netherlands in the G20, uh, the Kingdom of the Netherlands in the G20 as the private sector representative. It's really important to be aware that every individual needs every morning when he comes into his office, when he does go into his office, but also when he works remote, he needs to be able to be his true self. If he leaves anything behind at the front door of your office, you don't have the full potential of this colleague working for you. You only have two-thirds, half, because if you allow him to be his or her true self, he will be able to excel. If you take something away from him, he's not having his full strength. So for me, it's first and foremost, it's important to make sure that, you know, diversity is happening with regard to getting the right uh, numbers in place. Uh, inclusion is about really making sure that the culture of the firm is truly inclusive. But equity is truly about making it happen, that you really have, you know, people, whatever they are, whoever they want to be, that they're able to do whatever they would like to do, which makes sense for the firm, for the stakeholders, but also for the person himself. I saw that, you know, 20% of Aon executive bonuses are tied to diversity and inclusion success. So this is, this is a company taking this very seriously. You know, the, the company has 102 business resource groups across 14 countries, including one for mental health. 
I look at Aon, you know, really putting their money where their mouth is in terms of diversity and inclusion and really saying, hey, look, we're going to connect even, you know, our leadership executive bonuses to this, which is in- incredible. Has that always been the case at Aon or was that new? No, that's not always been the case. Okay. Uh, if that would have been, we would have been completely inclusive now and um, more than ever. I think you mentioned mental health. I would like to stand still with that uh, topic for a moment because I think that's one of the most important topics of our era. If you take a look at the numbers of youngsters, also reports came out uh, two weeks ago that uh, young girls already feel quite uncomfortable with themselves and are mentally, um, you know, their mental health is already at stake at such a young age. So I think as a society, but also as, a, as an employer, we have, a, you know, not only a job to fulfill, making sure that we uh, sell the best insurances, but we also need to make sure that our people are best equipped to sell the best possible risk advisory f- services which we deliver on products. It's a topic which has become really prominently uh, on the radar as well as uh, diversity and inclusion the past year. And I think, yeah, we take it really seriously, but that's also because health is one of the, the, the solutions we also offer to our clients. So we need to make sure that we do ourselves the best we can to support our clients and to support our staff helping our clients. We have a new law in place, which has a quotum. And I went out to interview three CEOs, uh, CEO of KPN, the largest telecom provider, Salesforce and AstraZeneca. And it's really interesting to watch those three white males, men, with all due respect, uh, how busy they are with the topic and how they actually are making it work. Especially Salesforce has uh, put together a special uh, activity where they're hiring all kinds of people from different backgrounds who don't maybe have the right qualifications, but they help them to educate themselves into uh, the skills and capabilities needed, also technology, etc., And it's really impressive to see how, you know, uh, those companies are putting their money where their mouth is. So I have to say I'm really impressed by this. And it's an example of what's really important for the world at the moment. You know, diversity, act and inclusion, whatever we do with the G20, whether it's gender or diversity of thought, opinion, but also of ethnical backgrounds, it's something where each and every CEO or C-suite should be aware of and should be working on it. So after a successful career in executive leadership, you shifted into marketing leadership. And I'd love for you to just share your perspective around going from executive leader to now leading marketing and what you learned there and maybe takeaways. Now, when I was first asked for this role, after indeed a very long lasting career, really, you know, on the, on, on the ground selling insurances and risk advisory work, et cetera, I was a little bit like, what's this? The interesting part, actually, the role's given me a great deal. It's, it's, it's learned me to take... Uh, a different look at things which I took for granted. So what does it teach you? It's never to take things for granted, to ask questions, ask the right questions. Uh, And it has learned me to not only, so there are five ways of questioning, is to take a look like integral question is when you ask something about an audit committee, remuneration, et cetera, in the board. That's how you do it, you know, how's things, how's compliance. The second way of questioning is actually personal question. How are you? What have you done the weekend? Which football team did you watch? Which soccer team? Uh, the third one is ethical questioning, something which is definitely now on top of mind of a lot of young generations about climate change. So be aware that you know ethical questioning is tough. The fourth one is disruptive questioning. And disruptive question is something I've learned to do, which is when somebody says A, you say Z. Just take a look what's happening. Also to creatively to to inspire people like not always to take things for granted but to look for the things which they haven't seen the fifth one is hopeful questioning which especially with which, you know if you have very stubborn people in front of you then definitely hopeful question is the way to approach them but so back to marketing when i started with that i was looking like what's going on uh, but i've always been a very creative mindset 
And I like to imagine new things and I like to reimagine old things. Uh, and back to the world of insurance or reinsurance, uh, it's also interesting to see that we've, for over now almost 400 years, we've done the way things which we've done. And it's always interesting to take a look, are we still relevant and how do we make ourselves relevant? And that's about, if you take a look about what that is about, it's about uh, reinventing yourself and reinvigorating yourself. And that's really important, especially for those large global corporates, which we as Aon are, but there are many others. You need to remain relevant. And that means that you need to take a proactive look to remain relevant, which is by reinventing and reinvigorating yourself. How do you cultivate this relevance, right? Like, do you have a process or an approach to cultivating relevance? Like, do you have a group of people that you're always connecting with? Do you have kind of a forward-thinking research mindset? Like, how do you, in your own experience, cultivate this relevance as an executive leader? Well, it's by asking a lot of questions, first and foremost. So let's summarize this. What got us here won't get us there. Summarize what I want to say to, to answer this question. So it's about realizing that the world is uh, full of change. And that you need to take a look, how does our product and our services, how do they align with the expectations customers have? And managing those expectations is really hard work. And you can't take things for granted. And especially with topics like we mentioned already, environmental social governance, uh, new risks on the horizon, uh, you need to take a very proactive stance to try to understand these risks. So it's about a lot of talking with people, what's going on, try to understand, a lot of listening uh, and then take a look how we can build those solutions which might help them to mitigate the risk. You, you mentioned something uh, earlier, uh, pre-interview pre around customer centricity. And I'd, I'd love to just unpack what, what is customer centricity? What does it mean to, to Aon Holdings, to you as, as the chairman of Aon Holdings? I'd love to just unpack kind of where that came from and, and what that means today. Now, for me, customer centricity is about really understanding what your client's worries are and strategic objectives, but also his worries. What is keeping him or her awake at night? And what can we do with our profession to solve or to mitigate the risks attached to it? So it's very much replacing yourself, not in your own. It's not an inside-out perspective, but an outside-in perspective. And mm. it requires a lot of listening, and it requires also a lot of trying to understand his or her world, taking a look at the situation from their perspective, trying to benchmark it with what you know in order to help them find a solution. Mm. Do you spend a lot of time these days cultivating other leaders? Like, do you spend time, you know, with other executives at Aon Holdings and other, you're on the other boards and service groups as well, but do you find a lot of your time these days as kind of mentoring and connecting with other executives? Yeah, so I do a great deal of that. The reason why is because indeed I'm on, on a number of non-executive boards. And what it helps you do is, is benchmark your own experience with that of peers in, your own, in, in business and whatever business. And from time to time, there are some other people might have complete different experiences, uh, but it also helps you uh, to form an opinion which is uh, a little bit broader than only your own. If I'm the smartest in the room, then I'm in the wrong room. So uh, it also triggers me to keep learning and to continue to keep learning so that I'm not taking things for granted which you shouldn't be taking for granted. Mm. Do you spend much time hiring and building teams these days or can you share anything around kind of cultivating high-performing teams and things you've learned in that arena? Yeah, that's, by the way, a really interesting topic. So if you take a look at high-performing teams, I think it's first and foremost is about how do you compose a team and are you familiar with the various elements? Is it a diverse team? 
from gender, religion, you name it, uh, but also from generations. So it's very important to have a very cohesive look at what is the team about? How do people act and react on your leadership? Uh, some, you know, there's difference in the way people, who they are, how they react and act. Then second, if you take a look at the, the high-performing team composition, then, you know, it's very important to make sure that communication is right. You know, all the things we just discussed with Daniel Coleman are really important. How do you how do you deal with your team? How do you communicate with your team? Do you have the right empathy? What's important to note also is that unconscious bias is really important to be aware of, that you don't, you know, that not even without knowing, favor one team member above the other. So there are all little things in place which make it uh, whether you're the right leader for the right team. And if you then talk about a high-performing team, then... You know, a high-performing team, it's proven to be much more successful, much more innovative uh, than any other team. And that's, of course, that's why it's a high-performing team. But I think it's important. It's more important that it's about a diverse team, an inclusive team, that the culture of the team is, is the right culture to operate in. So, Marguerite, besides Aon Holdings, you serve on a lot of boards and service groups. For example, you're a chairman of the board of directors uh, of Kelp Blue. Would you tell us a little bit about Kelp Blue? Yeah, thank you. Kelp Blue is a startup. So this is a pretty interesting role because it's a startup where we have a number of young uh, activists, young professionals uh, who want to make the, really want to make the difference for the world. They are growing giant kelp uh, in oceans and they've started with a pilot now in Namibia. And so they've designed, they want to scale up the production of kelp and they want to uh, produce uh, food from it or uh, biostimulants. Why is it so extremely interesting? Because they're young people. They believe in something. They have a real purpose to make it work. They want to make a difference to the world. And what's interesting is that you see the capacity and the capability of such a young group of people doing things which we do with so many thousands of people of Aeon. And they do it in a very efficient, pro way. They are you know, learning quickly. They're learning smart. Uh, they know how to feel smart. They know how to feel early. But it's all about learning. It's really compelling to see how they do it. And I think it's really also showing me as a very established, sorry to say it myself because I don't like to say, but an established old school leader, how the youngsters of today approach uh, with the passion they have, yeah, uh, solutions to help and make our world a better place. It's fascinating to think about, you know, kelp being one of the fastest growing organisms on earth, right? And it creates these habitats and it can be sustainably and repeatedly harvested, which is amazing. So how did that come across your plate? Just curious. I was approached uh, as a non-executive director by one of the angel investors who wants to make sure there's an independent chair of the board. Uh, what's extremely exciting is that you see how young people all motivated to make the world a different place, start something, how engineers, salespeople, commercial people try to cooperate together uh, to swim in parallel lanes, you know, building the engineering, etc., for the giant kelp. And indeed, giant kelp grows dramatically fast. It grows 60 centimeters a day. Uh, and, and also, which is really interesting to know, is that one hectare of kelp is better than 10 hectares of trees. On, for the carbon. And so I think that what's really in, important to be aware of that I think as leaders of this world, we're all having a responsibility to take a look how we can support, you know, building the world of the future. And that's what I'm trying to do here. And it, and it's really makes me very, feel, feel very good to see those young people so uh, extremely passionate about what they try to do. That's amazing. I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of opportunities that, you know, come across your desk and I'm sure that you can't say yes to all of them. 
but you said yes to some key ones. And I love that Kelp Blue was one that you said yes to. So on behalf of the planet, thank you for saying yes to Kelp Blue. <laughs> You're also involved in the Harvard Business School Global Alumni Board. I want to understand how has that shaped your perspective? What has that experience been like for you as a chairman of Aon Holdings? Talk about your experience yeah, being on the alumni board of, of Harvard Business School. Uh, Harvard Business School is a place where you know so much talent is uh, deriving from. I've been privileged to be there for two months to do the advanced management program. And it's about, as a leader, trying to continue to learn and to understand that learning is an essential capability which you need to have. And if you take a look at the people walking around out of the campus, the faculty, challenging you know, the status quo, always interest to know why do you think this, the case study method, which is, you know, has celebrated the uh, centennial this year. So being on that board is actually giving me a lot of food for thought every day again to make sure that I challenge myself. And so when we started our conversation, I mentioned what makes a good leader, self-awareness, self-reflection, empathy, social skills, or motivation. Now, Harvard Business School definitely motivates me to go for the next level. But also, it gives me a lot of self-awareness and self-reflection. I'm looking in the mirror and I'm looking at, you know, am I doing things right or am I doing the right things? And that's the difference between management and leadership. Eh? Management uh, is doing things right and leadership is doing the right things. And then it's about, you know, making sure that the strategy is doing the right thing and doing things right, but also that you make sure that you execute well. And so it's important to make sure that every day as a leader, you realize that, um, you know, it's not because of you, it's because of other people wanting to follow you, that you are a leader and that you have a responsibility to make it work for not yourself, but especially for other people. I would think that in many environments, there are a lot of people that would be around you that are just saying yes, saying yes to you. A lot, a lot of executives at the highest level, a lot of people just say yes, 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 right? And a lot of times they're not often told like what they really think or feel. And I'm just wondering how you're able to balance that, because I would imagine that you obviously being in leadership and being on many boards and service organizations, a lot of people just tell you, yes, how do you balance and weave through that understanding that you're at the highest level of executive leadership? You fought your way up there, but you also need good feedback. You also need to know the truth of what's happening in and around your experience. And how do you navigate that? It's the most important element of being a good leader to make sure that you have teams around you which actually provide you with disruptive questions, which tickle your imagination to make sure that you maybe have a different perspective on something which you thought today. So for me, it's about creating uh, people and teams which actually do trigger me to think differently or challenge me to try to think differently. And especially young people do that at the moment, you know, and often as leaders, we've said, okay, we have a board of old fashioned old leaders. It's important to take a look. What are the, young, the, the perceptions of younger generations? And for me personally, I think that, you know, I've looked at this at my circle of five. So in the office, I have a trusted circle of five. And I challenge everyone who listens to this podcast today to take a look. How diverse is your circle, trusted circle of five? And mine is a millennial. So it's one who is very young and who challenged me all the time because he has complete different opinions on some topics than I do. Uh, it's a lady who is from Suriname. So she's from, from a different ethnicity, from, from uh, South America. Is what I call um, my old colleague from almost 60, with all due respect, but he's, of course, representing what we call the prime age, you know, uh, really an old generation, different. A colleague who's 42, a man, and uh, my, uh, my PA who was 50. And what it does give to you is um, the different perspectives. Uh, and I do also challenge them and they challenge me. 
And it's quite tough. It's like your own children at home. Allow them to be as outspoken as my children can be at home, which is pretty outspoken because they don't feel any help by whatever I do. But it's important to surround you with those kind of people. And if you don't have that, if you have only a trusted circle of five people who are the same as you, you have to wonder, is this the right circle of five? So representation really matters with different kinds of perspectives, diversity of thought and opinion. That's fantastic. I love that. Okay. You ready for some lightning round questions? Very much so. First question for Marguerite. What's the last time you tried something new? Uh, the past week, I'm trying to raise my new puppy. And I've never raised a puppy. Uh, my previous dog was my first dog was with us for 14 years. But he came from the US, actually. He came from Michigan. But he was actually six months old when he joined us. And so this is the first time I'm educating a puppy, which is a challenge on its own. Wow. What is one life lesson that you've learned the hard way? Understanding men. Mm. <laughs> Can you unpack any of that? Yeah, I've, I've learned as a female leader and as a female colleague, there are differences between men and women. And don't want to go too deep into it, but they're definitely the way we think. I've learned to some extent to ask my husband some of the questions or things which I came across in the office and asked for his reaction. And he got a completely different reaction than my own. So it was really interesting to get that experience and to experiment. How does it react? How do you act yourself? How do you react to certain things? But it is also as simple as drinking a beer after a meeting where you had a big confrontation. I couldn't do it in the past. I've learned how to do it now. Mm. So it's also separating the personal part with the business discussion. That's good. What is one thing you regret? Uh, bungee jumping. Oh, yeah? Okay. Um, for me, it's skydiving. I did it one time. I'll, I'll never do it again. I'm good. Yeah. Now, my husband is a pilot, so we did it when we were very young, for, but I'll never do it again. Okay. No, forget it. Those things I can do without. What other executive leaders inspire you? Or one or two or people that are either currently an executive or maybe they're past executives, but what other executive leaders inspire you? Now, yeah, I think that... We see many different leaders passing by. I do have to see that if you take a look at the executive leadership, there are, uh, I'm very much inspired by Nancy McKinsey. She, she's the CEO of Walters Kluwer. It is actually, so there are so many inspirational people which are there. It's, it's a matter of, uh, the question is always, how long are they inspirational? Because state of the art, some of them might have things in the past which we will do differently today. Uh, so I think that for me, it's about, so I always think inspirational, impressive for me is not so much about what people do uh, or what people say. It's about how people make other people feel. And especially in the past years of COVID, you know, it's been showing it's so important that you try to understand how people feel. And then you act every, and accordingly and say the things you need to say. But it's really about making people feel is really important. Mm, okay. What is one activity that makes you lose track of time? It's, uh, it's uh, if I spend time with my friends having real fun, I'm completely, I'm lost uh, without time, yeah. It could be anything with your friends. Yeah. Okay. Quality time with my friends. If you could choose one book uh, that's mandatory for all high school students to read, which book would you choose? It would be Tuesdays with Maury. It's written by Mitch Album, And it's a book about um, a person who goes back to his uh, professor who has ALS. And it actually teaches you that health is one of the most prominent and most important issues which you have. Uh, we've often, we're often carried away by wealth and all the things which truly are not really, which are material. But the most important thing is immaterial, which is your health. Mm, it's good. Okay, this one's a, this one's a doozy. Um, would you rather lose all of your old memories or never be able to make new memories? 
Yeah, I would rather lose my old memories because if I'm not able to make new memories, I don't live in the now. So I like to live in the now and in the future. Mm, good answer. Speaking of the future, what are you betting on for the future? Yeah, a net zero world. So really, uh, you know, solution for climate change. Beautiful. Wendy's and Chipotle are joining a growing number of companies that have been exploring this potential of virtual worlds. So what do you make of this? Yeah, this is really interesting. Eh? So this is about how do you test um, uh, how do you test your products in in worlds which have come across, which is the virtual world, which is the metaverse, which we're all talking about. And for me, this is a matter about I think we all should try it. The question is how do you actually translate the customer experience which you normally have into a metaverse and vice versa? And does that match and manage expectations of your customer? And especially in this world of customer experience, it's really important to make sure that you then very carefully test what they're doing because they're all testing it out, that you very carefully test the experience. Mm, that's good. What is something that impresses you? I'm always imp impressed by creative people. I have to say creativity is something um, what really impresses me. Thinking of, you know, Einstein impresses me. People have done things for the first time impress me. And actually, those people think outside the box. So um, we're all so used to draw line, to act and work within the box. And I think it was Catherine Hepburn who said, you know, draw it outside the lines because that's more fun. And that's something which we maybe should do from time to time or often, of course, always take into consideration that we help other people. We don't disrespectfully act towards any others in society. But it's about, uh, you know, finding new things, you know, crossing borders, you know, explore. I like to be explore, yeah. If you had access to a time machine, where and when would you go? Yeah, I, was, I love this question. So um, back into the future, because I'd like to see my, uh, my children, my grandchildren when I'm no longer around. Because that's something I'm, I'm I, you know, my great-grandchildren, those are the things I will never see. So that's something I would love to know what has become and is there indeed and also the, to, to answer the question, because that's something somebody ever told me, like, if I give something now to my children, I give it to three generations to come. Mm. So the way I educate my children and the way I've been educated by my mom and my parents. And so it's interesting to watch what's in the DNA of education, nature, nurture, et cetera, and how does it relate? Oh, that's good. I like that. I like this question for you, especially again, looks, we have two polls of audience that, that listen to this show. One are executives in the Fortune 1000. The other are people who are inspired and they are inspired to come up you know, and be sitting where you sit. What is success for you now? What is success for Marguerite now? I think it's um, focusing on goals and not obstacles. And I think it's also, this is the most important one. It isn't just about what you accomplish in life, uh, but actually how you inspire others. It's for me about... You know, being your true self, being happy with yourself, uh, believing in yourself. Yeah, that's what for me is. So uh, that, that's how I would define success, you know. But it's definitely first and foremost about how you inspire others, how you can help others to go to where they would like to go. Mm, okay. What is your favorite app on your phone? Oh, that's fine. Search my friends, I think you call it in the US. Okay, search my friends. All right. Yeah, is that one? Um, where you we can call see it Live 360, where I can see where everyone is, yeah, where my yeah, family yeah. is. That's and cool. my family hates it because they think I'm the stalker, but it's quite convenient and efficient to know if somebody's one hour away from the house before he or she gets home or, you know. That's great. I love that. Okay. What's a skill that you believe everyone should have? I think it would be integrity, mm. trust. Oh, I love that. Okay. 
If you could effortlessly pick up a new skill in an instant, what would that skill be? I'd love to be invisible. Oh, okay. Last one is, what is one thing that you would like to do before the end of the year, which is coming up, that you've never done before? Yeah, I'd, li I'd like to just, you know, for months, I would like to do every day wake up without an agenda. Uh, because for the past 33 years, I've been living with agendas and with meetings. And, and maybe to answer more concretely, I would like to go to a monastery and to have no phones and no, no, no nothing. Mm. Go back to me myself and I, instead of, you know, being busy with everything else. So really about what are you about as a person? I love that. That's fantastic. Well, thank you, Marguerite. This has been an incredible conversation. I know I speak for our entire production team. We were very excited to have you on the show today. Thank you for being a part of Marketing Trends and we wish you all the best in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers, to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.